During the early 1800s, medical education was making great strides in anatomy. Edinburgh, Scotland was a central influence on teaching of anatomy to enhance surgical understanding. However, to teach this, you need dead bodies. This is the story of William Burke and William Hare. Welcome to Enter the Dark. And welcome to Enter the Dark. I am Jan. With me as always is Les. You okay, mate? All good, mate. All good. Good, yeah. good, good. Yeah, sorry. This has probably been about a month in between. Well, longer than a month in between. We've had birthdays, illnesses, threats of redundancy. All this live shit. So, you know... It we it took its toll, didn't it? Took its toll. It's been uh, it's been a pretty hardcore couple of months, actually. It has. It's been all party for me, despite the aforementioned. Yeah. Like, with an illness in between. I mean, you say it's been all party. You mean you drank your feelings away? I drank a lot of things away: feelings, inhibitions. But it's all good. It's all good now. Fingers crossed. Anyway, so yeah, um, today's story is on Burke and Hare, not the shitty Simon Pegg and Johnny Lee Miller film. I hate Simon Pegg. I fucking hate him. Also, like, and he into, like, Scientology. Something like that. Want to know what I think's weird? Like, look at Tom Cruise, and, like, that guy's virtually not fucking aged, and, like, he mm. puts that down to Scientology. It's not it's- down to pra- it's down to plastic surgery, isn't it? Because looking at like Simon Pegg, I'm like, well, somebody just give this man a nice meal or yeah. something. It looks like he'd wasting away. Yeah, sorry, well, Simon. No, I'm not sorry, Simon, but I am sorry that it's taken us this long to get to the people who give us money. Yes, our Patreon supporters. We have Hannah Blue Haddington, Amanda Champagne, Astoria Crowley, Amy Emmer and Jack Coleman, Lisa Dempsey, Marie T. Jensen, Casey the Cannibal, Becky Louise, Izzy from the Clink, Jules Henderson, Michelle Hudson, Alicia Llewellyn, Mandy Madam, Fire Pixie, Little Miss Gora, Elle, Swiss Phil, Christy, Verena Schmidt, Kooky Farmer and Elizabeth Lee. I'm really not. I'm gonna have to write these down on a different page. Thank you all. If you want to get your names mentioned or just help us out, you can do by going to www.patreon.com forward slash enter the dark. Anything from a dollar all the way up to fifty dollars, you can give whatever you want to. It all helps us get these out quicker if we're not having, you know, sort of weird kind of weird months. Let's put it that way. Anyway, so. Let's get started. Les, you know a bit about these. I know quite a bit about these, actually. Like, so, um, it's one of the most fascinating... I'd say this was kind of, like, my gateway drug, in many respects, Mm. into, like, true crime. Uh, I'm fascinated. I do like a good period piece. Good. What do you know about the history of grave robbing? Uh, I do. Uh, No, you say you don't. Okay, no, I don't. Well, then, let me teach you. So... <laughs> you fucked that up, didn't you? Sorry. Well, we got a weird, like, we've got our own, like, grave robbing thing that used to happen around here, and there was an incident that happened involving a demon donkey, so that's an interesting one. 
Save it for your own channel. I'll save that for my own channel. Okay. Anyway, in the early 19th century, Edinburgh was a leading city in the charge to bring anatomy to the world as a proper science. Now, you had Alexander Munro, John Bell, John Goodsir, and Robert Knox, and they were the surgeons that all taught in Edinburgh, all of whom were central to the development of the science around the globe. Now, due to the nature of the lectures, human bodies were needed for dissections and demonstrations. Obviously. However, Scottish law stated that only bodies of prisoners, suicide victims, and those scummy little orphans could be used for such a purpose. Now, this naturally leads to something of a shortage, because, you know, not that many people are in prison, killing themselves, and, you know, supply and demand. And some took advantage of this by robbing graves and selling bodies, which were fetching a price as high as £10, Les, which... Nowadays, is worth around about £900. Now, at the time, that was several months' wages for a skilled workman. So, you're there, you're a carpenter in Scotland. You're like, you're right, pal. I'm here in Glasgow, and I'm a carpenter. And you earn £900 over, like, five, six months. Yeah. Yeah? You could just go, take a dead body, and earn that. So, you can see why people are in it. So, like I said... The appeal's obvious there. Grave robbing could be seen as a lucrative business for the enterprising individual who was willing to bend the law. The legal parameters at the time stated that disturbing a grave and taking belongings from the deceased was punishable. However, taking the body itself was not an offence, as it didn't technically belong to anyone. So, as long as you took the clothes off and everything else and left them there, you weren't stealing, yeah. technically. So the people who, like the teachers and that, who would get the bodies and ask no questions about how the body was obtained, and they had a separate fund to pay grave robbers for corpses. So, you know, it was a big business. Now, it's not unusual for medical students to immediately remove identifying features of the corpse. So removing the scalp, cut off the ears, remove the eyes, as soon as it was obtained in the case of a search of the medical college by the authorities. So, the increasing demand for the fresh cadavers gave rise to resurrectionists, men who were paid to dig up and deliver bodies. At least as frequently in the newspaper articles about grave robbing in the 1800s, the robbers are referred to as ghouls. Yeah. Now, um, they used to work in teams, mainly targeting new graves because it was easier to dig up the unsettled earth. They used to get a lot of children in as well to do this because yeah. kids have got smaller hands and can climb in. Now... Most of the graves robbed um, within a day of the interment to obtain the freshest corpse possible. Now, the robbers weren't only in the cold season because a stiff, that's where the names come from, was only good for a few days before it became too putrid and decayed to be useful. Now, no robberies were committed during the warmer months since there was no way to refrigerate the bodies to keep them cool long enough to prevent putrefaction. Now, I've been to Scotland several times. I've been to Glasgow several times. It's fucking it's cold. It's always fucking cold. I don't I think then. So the dissecting period at medical colleges usually lasted from the middle of October to the end of November. Now, the ideal body was that of a thin, emaciated person, frequently someone who had died of consumption, which is um, TB. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was because students would, um, wanted a subject whose muscles and arteries were free from fat. Because they didn't want to spend a lot of time scraping off all the fat. That's gross. In it, yeah. I mean, they're just fucking there, like, oh, fucking hell. Fucking must bastard eating fucking deep fried haggis. Aye. Um, so, 
I mean, that's what they speak like in Glasgow. They're like, hey, pal, see you. See you, pal. Or you get the ones who come up to you who are called Neds in Scotland. Like, Chev's like, yeah, pal, um, I'm, can I have 50p for my fucking wife's baby? Because i got to get to the hospital. It's like, no, you haven't. you got to get heroin. Because, as we know, everyone in, in Scotland is on heroin. Deep-fried heroin. Deep-fried heroin. Put that in your vein. Oh, oh, imagine that. Oh, deep-fried heroin. Mm, Moorish. <laughs> yeah, so they didn't want to spend all the time scraping the fact they were like, oh, fuck this. So subjects who were at least 16 years old at the time of death were most desired. Now, the resurrectionists worked in teams. One member of the team had the job of transport. He would drive a wagon a short distance from the cemetery and hide in an inconspicuous spot. Two other men would be charged with digging up the body. Now, this is really cool. While one dug, the other one kept watch for anyone who might see them. With a tarp, a rope and a crowbar and wooden shovels, the men would go to work. Now, they wouldn't just dig up the body, right? They'd lay the tarp by the grave, so nearby grounds were, were undisturbed, so you couldn't see the feet. And digging was done with a wooden spade because it was quieter than a metal ah, one. Ah, that makes sense. Now, what you do is go to the head of the grave, right? And you dig, like, sort of down like that. And when you got to the coffin, you'd... Use a crowbar right on the bed. The head of the where the head, yeah. And then they get the rope, tie it round the head and under the shoulders and drag it out. Now, they'd transfer everything back in. So, like, take the clothes off and that, put it all back in. And then they just put all the soil back on. And it process took about an hour and a half. Now, the body would be carried or dragged to the man who was transported, who would immediately drive it to a medical school. Now, resurrectionists sometimes hired women to act the part as grieving relatives and claim bodies of the dead at poor houses. Women were also hired to attend funerals as grieving mourners. Their purpose was to ascertain any hardships the body snatchers might later encounter during the disinterment. I've heard of, like, incidents as well, like, where they'd sometimes, like, have people there dressed, like, Pretending to be ghosts and mm. shit of the relatives, yeah. which is dead clever. Like, there's a real theatricality to, like, resurrectionism, which is really interesting. Yeah. So, in demand the body's word in the 1800s that spies were sent to funerals. to the, the, So, they'd go, they gauge the sex, the age, condition, and means of death to determine whether it was desirable for them and the cost, how much it, you know. Yeah. They were like, oh, this one's a bit, you know, we'll only get about seven quid for this one. But this one, oh, yeah, 12 quid. Now, obviously, grave robbing is a moral dilemma for the authorities. They can't be complicit in the disinterment of the dead or the ransacking of graves on sacred ground, but they couldn't really reconcile themselves to holding up the progress of medical breakthroughs that would cure and treat the sick at the expense of only a few. Now, the solution was kind of a compromise. Although tampering with graves was officially frowned upon, the punishment was relatively slight. It was classed as a misdemeanor, potential fine, and a little, like, you know, like a couple of weeks behind bars. You back out. So with these relatively lax attitudes, families of the recently deceased had to take it upon themselves to keep watch of the burial sites of their loved ones. If you were rich, you could choose lead-weighted steel and iron coffins, to make an attempted body snatching way too time-consuming. There was also them things, weren't there? I'm getting to that. Rich families were able to protect their families' graves by covering the graves with large marble slabs and headstones, or sometimes used locked mausolea, which would prevent any easy access. So, like, the mausoleums you got, that was basically to stop that, but, you know, you can get in there. 
You've also got them weird cages, because, like, they sometimes yeah. pop up on social media, don't they, with some, like, clickbaity article yeah. oh, this is a vampire vampire's grave, and it's like, no, that's to stop, like, grave robbers. <laughs> like, yeah. but some cemeteries, they include the Night Watchmen, right? I learnt this. When I went to Edinburgh for my anniversary, we went on a ghost bus tour, and we went to this um, graveyard, right, that was haunted. <laughs> Isabella loved it. I she was it. like, I love this shit. It's honestly, fascinating. all women are screaming on there. My seven-year-old daughter just like... This is Ace Dad. Um, there was a big watchtower there, right? They had a big watchtower, which was built to stop the grave robbers. So um, you had night watchmen who had large, massive dogs and stuff like that. But the term graveyard shift, when they're like, I'm working the graveyard shift, that comes from these night watchmen who used to sit in the towers and watch out because it was the graveyard shift because they were watching the graveyard. And also, when you had the bells on the... So when you were buried alive, you had a bell. So you could ring the bell if you woke up. Saved by the bell, isn't it? That's where they come for saved by the bell. And if you died, do you know what you were called? A dead ringer. A dead ringer. Ah. So when you see someone who's like, oh, he's a dead ringer for him, it'd be basically that person's like a dead ringer. It's the dead person part of it kind of thing. That's dead cool. What were the watchtowers like made out of them? It's just concrete. It's like just a massive big concrete and it's like all around. It looks awesome. Like essentially it's almost like a fucking lifeguard. Yeah, but it not, is. <laughs> but in, in a graveyard. Yeah. But here you go. It's like the cemeteries, like they got the dogs. Wealthy wealthiest people could afford private watchmen and even wired alarms that go off if the cross was disturbed, right? This is my favourite. In 1896, a coffin torpedo was patented. Now, this device could be placed in the casket before it was closed. Any attempt to force the coffin open would release a spring that struck a percussion percussion cap and set off a bomb. (laughs) So, basically, the graveyard robber would just die. Now... Wow. That's that's fantastic. So, um, by the 1820s, grave robbing had become so widespread that citizens held a protest in the streets of Edinburgh to deter grave robbers. People could hire slabs of stone to place on top of a grave for a period, allowing the body to decompose, making it useless as an anatomical subject and worthless to grave robbers. Now, the watchtowers, they were built and they were manned by guards. Iron boards were installed over the graves, if you were wealthy, this is. And... You could even hire, if you were wealthy, a friend or a god to sit by your grave for like three, four days until your body's useless to basically guard it. So like if you died, I'm like, I don't want anyone taking Leslie's body and fucking it. Because that would happen. It would. It would. Let's be honest. Let's, someone's going to dig you up and have their way with your corpse. Every which way but loose. Yeah, they're going to make a Les costume and sit there jacking off. But I'd sit there... Not going to say I'd do it all for the whole time, but I'd sit there for a bit, and depending on how much money these people were paying me to turn a blind eye, because I, I know you'd like it. I may, I not only it's not that I'd like it, but I know like I know what you like, and I want you to be happy as well. I mean, and you know, I've lost my best friend. I need money. You need money, and you need you need money to. You know. I mean, how else am I going to, you know, find somewhere to record? Exactly. I need money. Just need the money, yes. 
we've thought about these things and discussed them in length, as you can tell. So anyway, let's get on to the two people in question there. So William Burke was born in 1792 in County Tyrone, Ireland. Now, he had a comfortable upbringing and a good education. He joined the army as a teenager and later married a Faroe Irish woman. Now, he attempted to settle down, however, and after a family argument pertaining to land ownership in 1818, he fled from his wife and moved to Scotland, where he remarried a prostitute named Helen McDougall. Seriously? You, you got to... By 1827, they were settled in Edinburgh, and Burke was working as a cobbler, earning a decent living. Now, William Hare was also born in Ireland around the turn of the century. Now, not much is known about his early life. However, it is thought he had been illiterate, which suggested quite a poor background. Now, he wound up moving to Edinburgh in the mid-1820s and worked as a coalman's assistant. He lodged in the house of a married couple and began having an affair with the wife, Margaret Logue. Upon detection of the affair, he was thrown out by the husband. You can imagine that, can't you? Sort yeah. of like, hey, see you, pal. You shagging my wife. He's like, oh, I, I am. Because I'm Irish. And everyone loves an Irish. It's like, get the fuck out of my you house. You an Irishman. That's what you do. Oh, she tickled me shillelagh. It's like, get the fuck out of my house now for a fucking chibia, you wee cunt. Chibia. <laughs> However, the husband did die soon after where... Whereby Hare just moved back in. Why well, he just mows his own back in? He's like, well, why are we to come uh, back now? Oh, well, your husband's dead. He's no threat to me. And he and Margaret ran the lodging house as husband and wife. Now, in 1827, Hare went to Midlothian to work on the harvest where he met Burke. The two men promptly, beca- promptly became friends, likely due to their shared Irish backgrounds. Read liking a drink. And after returning to Edinburgh, they, um, I mean, there's some racial stereotypes which are just wrong and sick and disgusting. The Irish like to drink. There's no way around it. The English like to drink, though. Yeah, but... The Irish do it better and are nicer at it, though. I think yeah, that I, is the I feel, difference. I feel, though, the Irish like to drink, and much like their potatoes, we just came along and took it. It's true. Yeah, and it made is. it violent. Yeah, we make everything violent. Don't English. we, as English? I mean, you're Polish, so... Like... Uh, you know, I'd... that's why I've quit drinking. <laughs> it's like, I've got to stop. <laughs> I need to stop this. So, yeah, um, the two men became friends. Now, they returned to Edinburgh and they remained close, earning a reputation around the area for heavy drinking and low behaviour. Fucking told you. This, that's the Scottish... Scottish people, you see them everywhere, don't you? Being loud in train stations. Anywhere, Scottish are loud. Like, even, the, even the small stumpy ones. They're just like, Hey, see you, pal. Hey, look at me. But wee Jimmy Cranky. Yeah, fucking wee Jimmy Cranky. Um, anyway, on the 29th of November 1827, one of Hare's tenants, an old army pensioner who went by the name of Old Donald, died of dropsy. What's dropsy, Les? Dropsy? Yeah. It makes me just think that your dick's fallen off. 
I think drops is like uh Is it your dick falling off? No, I don't think so. I think it might be like fucking Lyme disease or something. It's a deficiency and something. I always thought like sailors and that got like dropsy. That was scurvy. They got scurvy, but I'm quite sure they also got like dropsy as well. Do you know why Americans call us Limeys? Yeah, because like uh scurvy's a deficiency in vitamin C. So like in the British Navy, what they used to do is they used to give you a uh, lime or on occasion, like, they um, had, like, big vats of lemon juice, which was, like, rich in vitamin C. Uh, and, like, that would stop you from getting scurvy, yeah. essentially. Also, gin is apparently quite rich in vitamin C, so I hear. Stop. Hence stop, why there was gin stop, rations. Stop. Stop. Trying to justify your alcoholism. I've changed to gin now. You have changed to gin now. I like gin. So, yeah, old Donald is dead. Unfortunately for her, though, Donald owed him back rent. And mentioning this to Burke, the pair came up with a plan to sell the body to recruit hairs for animal lungs. It's fair. It's fair. He's like, old Donald's not going to need his body, is he? So, after old Donald's body was laid into his coffin, Burke and Hare removed it, hid it under the bed, and filled the coffin with wooden bark. They resealed the coffin. It was later collected and buried with no one any the wiser. Now, Birkenhair then took the body to Edinburgh University, where a student directed them to speak with the surgeon, Robert Knox. Now, Robert Knox was an army physician serving in the Battle of Waterloo in 1815 and during the Cape Front War in South Africa. After his military career, he settled in Edinburgh and became a member of the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh and began teaching anatomy lectures twice a day, advertising a full demonstration on fresh anatomical subjects for each lecture. Lecture. Now, Robert Knox bought the body of old Donald for £7.10 shillings. So, seven quid is probably, forget the shillings, seven quid's probably about, if 10 quid then was like 900 quid, we're talking about 600 quid or something. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good amount. Fuck maths. Anyway, as Burke and I were leaving, one of the students reportedly told the men that he would be glad to see them again when they had another body to dispose of. Foreshadowing, it's like, Hey, pal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you all right there? If you get us another one of them bodies, we'd be happy to see us, if you know what I mean. Don't be fucking with us now, lads. Bring us a fucking body. Bring we'll give you fuck. the fucking money. I was at Waterloo. Yeah, That's I how I got this. It's that scar on his head. It's, it's like, good. was it a bullet? No, bang my head on my bunk. I had butted that Wellington bastard. <laughs> so it, they were like yeah okay we could get bodies now they've just been paid a lot of money and they're like mm, you know what could we do here in January of 1828 Burke sort of fresh opportunity presented to him by another lodger in his house the tenant was named Joseph and he'd become ill and so Burke and Hare sent in another so another quick profit so thought do you know what let's help him along his way a bit you know yeah we, we you know we need to eat now He's dying. So basically what they did was they fed him whiskey and while um, while Bert laid across his chest, sort of lying on him, they'd uh, suffocated him with a pillow. So he's just sort of like that. Simple, simple, quick and simple. This left the body in really good condition for the anatomists and they promptly delivered Joseph's body to Robert Knox, who paid them £10 for the corpse. So at the moment, let's do a running total. They've got about 1,500 quid. Yeah. 
Right. In February of 1828, Burke and her met Abigail Simpson walking all the streets late at night. Now, she was an old pensioner who came to Edinburgh to sell soap. So fucking so Victorian, isn't it? So she was drunk and the pair invited her to stay at her house. And he was like, oh, come on, we've got more alcohol because we're Irish. And I don't think this is the Victorian period yet. 1800s? 1800. Not yet. Not yeah, let's just yet. call it. He gives a shit. Let's just call it Victorians. It's easier. Anyway, they got back, back to the house, gave her more alcohol, suffocated her. They put the body in an old tea chest, sold it to Robert Knox for £10. So that's like another 900 quid. So yeah. that's like, well, £2,400. That's three bodies. Three now bodies. that is like fucking mega money back then. This is like me and you. Yeah, this um, is, no, this is good money. Because like, what are you going to fucking buy like back then, really? Whiskey. Whiskey and oats. And rats, probably. Anyway, an English travelling salesman of matches and tinder was next. He was lodging at Hare's house and he fell ill with jaundice and was simply, he had to go. So he was suffocated and his body was sold to Knox for £10 as well. Now, with their newfound wealth, Burke and Hare had spent, spent with abandon and their opulence was becoming a talking point. Their opulence? Yeah. Like, what were they buying? Like, really, really good potatoes. They were buying, like... All the whiskey going around in fine new clothes and stuff like this. Nice, nice brocade. And- yeah. So everyone was like, well, hang on, where the fuck are Burke and Hare getting this money from? Now, they said, oh, don't worry about this. We'd inherited some money. And people were like, okay, this shit happens. You know, they're from islands. It could happen. So, however, with their increased spending, they had to increase their earnings. As you know. You do, don't you? You live within your means. You live within your means, and it's like you know, yeah. So in April, Bert went <laughs> to found a woman to found two women called Mary Patterson and Jeanette and Janet Brown. Now they were prostitutes from the Canongate area of Edinburgh. He took them home and drank whiskey with them. Mary Patterson fell asleep, and McDougall, seeing that Janet Brown was talking with Burke, accused him of having an affair. Now, an argument ensued and Janet Brown left the house. Burke and Hare smothered Mary Patterson in her sleep and upon Janet's return to collect, her friend was told that she'd already left for Glasgow with a travelling salesman. Now, the pair took Mary's body to Knox and sold it for £8. Now, one of Knox's assistants, however, thought he recognised the woman, probably because he fucked her, because, you know, she was a hooker, and he inquired how the men had come across the body. Burke explained this away, saying that she had drunk herself to death and that they had purchased her body from an old woman in Canongate. This was apparently enough to satisfy the surgeon. So, like, oh, she was really good at blowjobs. How did you get her body? Like, oh, bought off an old woman. Okay, just leave me alone with the body one last time. Anyway, throughout May, Burke and Hare killed Mrs. Haldane, another lodger. She'd become drunk, falling asleep in a stable. She was suffocated and sold to Knox, as was her daughter, who later, after drinking with Burke and Hare, when she came to find her, she come to find her, drank with them, fell asleep, suffocated. So they got another £10 each for that. What, she just suffocated without assistance? Oh, no, 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 no. They suffocated her. They fully suffocated yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. Shortly after this, an unnamed old woman, another lodger, another drinking party with Burke, became another suffocation. Another £10. Effie, a beggar woman who scavenged from bins and tips and in the past had hauled scraps of leather to Burke, was coaxed into the house with Wixie like, come on, come on, we got whiskey, where she was quickly dispatched and sold. Burke and Hare were becoming confident in their business and when met with a drunk woman who, who was being helped home by a police officer, 
Burke offered to take the her home. Now, the officer, thankfully, was like, oh, I just don't give a fuck about this woman. Yeah, you take her, took her to Burke's home, killed her, sold her to Knox for further £10. Bit like Jeffrey Dahmer, that is, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Now, oh, it's my boyfriend. Oh, fucking please. Anyway, in June, Burke and Hare killed two lodgers, an old woman and her grandson. The trusty Chichester thingy that they'd used to transport the bodies to Knox was not big enough to accommodate both bodies less. They needed a bigger Chichester. So what they did, they stuffed them inside a barrel, called a porter and had him help them to transport it to Mox, who brought both bodies for £8 each. <laughs> just like, porter, yeah, got these heavy barrels and it's like... Did, did, like so this, these barrels, whiskey. Whiskey. <gasps> I'm still alive. No, you're not. All this killing, though, can take its toll on you. So at the end of June, the pair took a well-deserved holiday. Burke and his wife travelled to Falkirk to visit family. Oh, how lovely. Now, Hare, though, was short on cash, and on their return, Burke suspected Hare had been working alone and confirmed such with Knox. He told Burke Hare had sold them a body for £8. So, he'd, Hare had gone, like, he'd gone up to, Burke had gone up to um, Knox and went, Oh, you're right, though. Have you seen my friend recently? I've been on holiday to Falkirk. And he's like, I, I saw him. He brought me a body and I gave him eight pound. Eight pound. Eight pound. Yeah. And he's like, you motherfucker. So this led to a big rift in the partnership. But by September, Mrs. Osler, a washerwoman, visited the house to do laundry. The pair got drunk on whiskey and suffocated her, selling her body to Knox for £10. Now, their previous falling out was water under the bridge now. They didn't care about that. They were killing together, reunited and felt so good. And in October, the pair killed a local mentally disabled beggar called James Wilson. Daft Jamie. Yeah, he was well known in the area as Daft Jamie, and he had club feet and facial disfigurement, right? Both feet clubbed. Yeah. So he would sing and dance in the street. So he's there. On like, his clubbed feet? Yeah, he's there like. He's just there like, oh, my name's Daft Jamie. I got club feet and a fucking horrible face. And people would just love and like laugh at him and give him money and stuff. Now, young kids, this is the best, would try and get into fighting by singing his name, going like, oh, Daft Jamie, you we can't. Fucking have this orange and this fucking onion. And he'd be like, I'll fucking come and kill yous if I could run on my club feet because I'm Daft Jamie. Bullshit, they couldn't afford oranges. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking of something to throw. An orange. Don't leave bruises, but shows you use boss. Anyway. <laughs> beat it's someone true. with a bag of oranges. You can't fuck it. Like, you twat somebody with a fucking bag of apples. That's... Weaving bruises, yeah. unless it's like golden delicious. Get some oranges, smack people with a bag, yeah? Don't leave a bruise, let some know who's bossing. Anyway, so, um, Bacon Hair, like, brought him in. Like, oh, come drink with us, mate. And he was like, oh, I'm Daft Jamie, let me sing. And he went, okay, got him drunk. <laughs> now, they searched his pockets and found a snuff box and a spoon, which was just as well known as Daft Jamie was. So, they were like, See it and they were like, What was he what? doing with this snuff box and a spoon? Was he making little ditties? He's getting like, snuff, do, 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 do. putting it on a spoon, do, and like, do, 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 do. Was it like a tin snuff box? I hope it was. So he was making little Daft Jamie noises. Yeah, he's like, Oh, I'm Daft Jamie, let me take my snuff. So they kept his snuff box and the snuff spoon, but and then they sold the body to Knox. However, being well known and having unique disfigurements, many of the assistants thought they knew the boy. So Knox. 
was like, no, this ain't daft Jamie, you fucking idiot. He just cut his head and feet off. To sort of so he couldn't die. Did he get did he get like Daft Jamie at a discount price? If I was not, because I'd be like I mean I'd be how like, much lads. did Michael Jackson sell him spend on the elephant man's body? It's disgusting, but yeah. Yeah, true. Mm. So on the thirty first of October, Burke allowed an old Irish woman named Margaret Doherty into the lodging house by telling her that his mother was also a Doherty from the same area of Ireland. Now, Burke and Hare and their wives all got drunk with a woman and paid him to the other lodgers, Anna James Gray, Anna and James Gray, sorry, to sleep elsewhere for the night on the pretense that they would be drinking until late and they didn't want to inconvenience him. Now, they murdered Mar- Margaret Doherty and left the body in a pile of hay at the end of the bed. Now, the Grays returned early the next morning and they became suspicious when the men would not allow Anne to look for her clothing around the room that Mar- Margaret Doherty's be- body now lay in. Later that evening, when they were left alone, the Grays searched the hay and found Margaret's body and rushed out to tell the police. Now, Burke's wife met them en route to the police and offered them £10 a week for their silence. So, eating into their margins, that is, isn't it? It is, but she's like, look, we can give them... If we do three bodies a week, just give them a tenner. They're going to be happy with that. But they refused and they went to the police made a report. Meanwhile, Burke and Hare took the body to Knox and sold it for a final £10. Burke and Hare like, yeah, let's get that money. So the next day, the police visited Knox, identified the body of Margaret and promptly arrested Burke and Hare and both of their wives. Now, upon searching the homes of Burke and Hare, items of clothing of the victims were found, as well as with the snuff box and snuff spoon of um, Daft Jamie. So, due to the lack of bodies or evidence, though, many of the murders had little or no evidence to convict men. So, the police did a little scummy police trick here. They went to her and said, look, promise you immunity if you confess to the murders, which would also include his wife's safety from prosecution. Now, he gave a full confession implicating both him and Burke in the murder of Mary Doherty, Mary Patterson, and Daft Jamie. Now, I've seen that um, confession. They wrote it in um, someone's bl- in um, Hare's blood afterwards. Why? Yeah, it's a f- fucking flair for the theatrics. I don't know. Um, That's really extra. There's no need for that. It's out of order. Oh, mate, it was awesome. So, on Christmas Day of 1828, Burke was found guilty as charged, with the penalty being the sentence of death by hanging. Helen McDougall was given a verdict of not proven, so avoided any prosecution. Now, Helen McDougall was released from jail on the 26th of December, 1828. She was driven away from Edinburgh by a ravenous public and she made sail to Australia where she died in a house fire in 1868. Now, Margaret Hare, despite having immunity from prosecution, was held in jail for her safety. She was released on the 19th of January 1829 where she fled to the island and was not seen from again. Now, William Burke was hung um, on the 28th of January, 1829. His body was taken to Edinburgh University, where it was dissected as part of an anatomy lecture. Bit of poetic irony there. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Now, later, his skeleton was preserved and put on display, where it remains to this very day. Haven't you seen it? I saw that, and also their life masks. So you had the, like, life masks of Burke and Hare, and his skeleton's just there. It's just like this fucking... Was he quite tall or not really? Not really, no. He was like shorter than me and shorter than you, but 
it's just weird that it's like this fucking that. mass murderous skeleton just there. What were their faces like? Were they all right? Or they just like there? fucking faces, really. Nothing. Go to no. Edinburgh Museum, it's there. Go to, I want to go. It's on my list of Scotland. Do it. So, William Hare, he was released from prison on the 5th of February, 1829. Now, he fled to London, where he was rumoured to live as a beggar on the streets until his death. Although there were reliable sightings that put him in Carlisle, alive and well for a bit. Now, Dr. Robert Knox was was not charged nor prosecuted for his part in the murders. He was cleared of any complicity during an inquiry which agreed that he had no knowledge of murder whilst procuring the subjects for his lectures. Bullshit. You fucking knew. He knew. He knew. What a shady bastard yeah. this guy is. It's plausible deniability, though, isn't it? It is, but so, still fucking hell. The public opinion, though, was against him, however, and so eventually was professional opinion. He was shunned by his peers and eventually moved to London, where he held a medical practice in Hackney until his death in 1862. Now, even though he was shunned, and this was a disgusting dark period they technically did some good well i've heard of robert knox and he's supposed to be like well quite well known in the yeah, field of yeah. anatomy and because he was like, like a pioneer that. in it yeah so gotta do shady shit to be a pioneer i'm not have. being funny like but you have you don't make an omelet without cracking a few eggs um but yeah so birkenhair you know went down in history as the grave robbers there was films books you know Everything about him is there. If you do go to Edinburgh, if anyone, if you ever do go to Edinburgh, or as you Yanks call it, Edinburgh, which is fucking wrong, go to the museum. Do they really call it that? Edinburgh. Because I know they call like Leicester, Leicester. Like, come on. I remember once uh, my dad was at, told me he was at a service station, and this American come up to him and was like, can you tell me the way to Warwick? My dad went, it's Warwick, you prick, and walked off. <laughs> Didn't tell him. He was just like, it's Warwick, you prick. Um, but yeah, if you ever get a chance to go to Edinburgh, go to the museum, just because it's fucking amazing the museum is. They've got a giant sloth skeleton, Les. I'm all down. It's for fucking that. amazing. They reckon, we? don't they? They've seen, like, have you heard about it in the news recently? Like, they found these big fucking, oh, like, big fucking tunnels yeah. and shit. And they reckon they were dug by giant sloths. Nah, honestly, like, they're mint giant it's sloths. Are. Like you know, it's a museum. So one, <clears throat> it's free. Two, I think we spent. But three always, hours. always, always, give, always give something because it keeps them going. Maybe and a little. Also, bit. when I, um, we went, there was um, a execution. Um, there was a history. What, there? Right well, no, there. there was a history of death and execution in there. Well, so yeah. when we went in, um, Isabella come with me. And um, it was that funny because the guy on the desk was like, okay, so I just have to let you know because of your wee daughter here, there's going to be, uh, there is pictures of um, bodies, uh, half a dog, um, you know, it's quite, there is skeletons and also um, quite graphic pictures. And as well, I was like, this sounds ace. She knows what's up. She's my daughter. She's she's a father's daughter. Um, But yes, um, so Birkenhair, even though they did grave rob, they also sort of helped move along progression. And but after that, they um, after all this, they said uh, people could then donate their own bodies, and they could get bodies from everywhere. So grave robbing sort of. So your donor card comes yeah, from one gas, and you didn't need to then like rob bodies and you know stopped off kind of a cottage industry. 
Interesting aside as well, like with the like whole grave robbing thing, like before this, you've got like the interesting phenomena like in medieval and renaissance times mm. of like grave robbing to procure occult paraphernalia. Ooh. So here's an interesting one. So yeah, have you heard of, Jan's going to take the piss out of this straight away, Hand of Glory. You've mm-hmm. heard of the Hand of Glory. You knew where I was going with yeah. this. He's about, he's about cracker joke. But, like, if you don't know what the Hand of Glory is, look it up. But this was a... Not at work. Not at work. And use an incognito browser. Yeah. And a VPN. But, like, if you've ever seen a film... Gotta drop this reference. But if you've ever seen the film The Wicker Man, they have a Hand of Glory in The Wicker Man. The good Wicker Man, not the The good Wicker Man, not the shit, like, Nick Cage one. So, in that film, you've got that. Now, the point of the Hand of Glory in occult terms was it'd apparently tell you it'd, like, cast a spell on, like, a household you were meant to be uh, robbing. I believe this comes from a grimoire called uh, The Black Pullet, or Black Poulet. It was, like, a French one. Uh, And this would be taken off, I believe it was the left hand of a hanged man, and you'd pickle it in, like, herbs and stuff like that. And then um, what you do is you'd like light it like a candle. And if you were robbing somebody's house, like if any of the flames went out, that may meant somebody would be waking up in the house. But it'd also have powers apparently to keep them asleep. So in medieval and Renaissance times and going into the early like sort of 16th, 17th and 18th centuries... Like, it, it became a bit of a thing, like, a, a real, like, sort of crime in the civic courts, not in papal or, like, oh, right. sort of ecclesiastical courts, but civil courts, that if you were caught, like, sort of tampering with graves or stuff, that you could get, like, done. And at first, it'd be a misdemeanor. You'd get a bit of a slap on the wrist. But then, after that, if you were caught doing it, it was, like, kill them. Both practicing fucking witchcraft. There we go. So, yes, that was the story of Birkin Hare. Um, it was a really good one, um, just basically because I wanted to do this after I fucking saw his skeleton. It's just dead fast. There's like a letter man. written in bl- his blood and shit. So, it's dead cool. Um, honestly, if you do get a chance to go to Edinburgh or anything like that, go check it out. It's awesome. Um, there's loads of ghost tours, and we went on a ghost buzz. And um, everything is awesome. great. Visit Mackenzie's tomb, the Mackenzie Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Is it at Greyfriars? Yeah, Grey that's Friars. where we went. Greyfriars Kirkyard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. But um, yeah, so um, yeah, let us know what you think. Um, it was a good one. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I hope you did. So um, please, did. if you did, please like, share, and subscribe to us. I know we keep begging, but it really does help us out because we are being shafted over by YouTube on a regular basis. Because we don't like fucking... Other channels will edit their shit and like all the language out, but we're a bit more... We mm. don't do Yeah, that. I can't be arsed with that. I haven't got enough time to edit out all the swears we do. Um, but yeah... Or racisms. I mean, that's just you. Um, but yeah, <laughs> um, if you did like that and you do like what we do, you can help us um, to do more of this shit by going to www.patreon.com forward slash enter the dark where you can bid anything from a dollar... All the way up to $50. You get free stickers, t-shirts, mugs, loads of cool stuff. Come hang out with us. Um, yeah, um, 
Also, you can reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are on TikTok. I forgot what that is, though. And also, you can email us at enterthedotpodcast at gmail.com. I've been Jan. He's been Les. Take care. See you later. Have a good one.